podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Jones! Bowden! He's got it! England have won the World Cup by the barest of margins! Stokes flashes it away through the covers for four and England have won the match! Hello, welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket, and I sound happy because, well, you probably know why, actually, because we've just watched an extraordinary day's cricket, and they call Grenada this spice island, and the pitch certainly lived up to expectations early on, so that in the end, because it calmed down a bit, we've got a rather lopsided-looking scorecard. It's all the wrong way around. It's actually like my... It's like my face, isn't it, with the, the beard on the chin and no nothing on the top of my head. Um, it's It was a bizarre day's cricket, but it, it finished up with the last pair, numbers 10 and 11, Jack Leach and Sak Mahmood, top scoring for England. It's the only time that's happened in Test cricket since 1885. Wow. What do you make of it? Well, sometimes cricket confounds us, doesn't it? We all think what we know what's going to happen in a game. England 114 for nine. They can be bowled out for 120, 130. West Indies in control of the game. Uh, England getting ripped apart by their critics, by, by their loyal supporters as well. You know, another disappointing batting effort, and they've somehow cobbled together 204. If you said at the start of the day's play, England would be bowled out for 204 in 89.4 overs, you'd have said, what a dull day's test cricket that is going to be. But actually, it was sort of anything but really. It was really fascinating because it was a real struggle for England. And then gradually that partnership between uh, Leach and Mahmood sort of turned the game around. And you start to think, well, where's the game going now? I think I'd still rather be in West Indies' position after the first day, especially if they can just put out of their minds that last-wicket partnership. The pitch does look to have dried out, does look to have eased out, but England are, are back in the game. Well, they're in the game in a way they certainly wouldn't have been if they'd been bowled out for 115, as seemed likely at one stage. Mm, yeah, I, I mean, they were 80 for... They were 90 for eight, and... 67 for seven and things you know they were in a parlous state so to have doubled the score which the last pair effectively did was a tremendous effort and you know there's a few things to say about it really I mean one is that tail enders are so much better now than they ever used to be with proper protection and actual practice you know I was I was talking to um, my kids today about the opportunities for batting and one of them was saying well why why are tail-enders in the past? Why were they so bad? And I said, well, because we never got any practice. You know, what used to happen was you'd turn up for nets at 10 o'clock and the top six would bat for two hours between them against all the bowlers. And then the top six would then go off and have fielding practice or go and have a bacon roll or whatever, leaving the four or five faster bowlers to practice amongst themselves. We were all knackered by then. So we all just bowled spin for 10 minutes at each other and had a slog and then went for lunch. And that happened day after day. So if you ever had to get out there and face proper bowlers with an old ball or a new ball, you didn't have much idea. And, you know, now everybody has the opportunity to practice and takes their batting seriously. So that's one thing. And then also it's, it's an odd thing, but bowlers often bowl not so well against tail enders once they got... Got in, and there, there was a classic example uh, of that today, which it's exasperating bowling at tail enders because they 
keep playing and missing. And then when you bowl one good ball, they either hit it in the middle of the bat or even hit it for four. And there was a classic example with uh, Alzari Joseph bowling to Saqib Mahmood towards the end when he was in his 30s or 40s. And he bowled about three rapid deliveries, which swung late, missed the edge by miles, went soaring into the keeper's gloves, were just a little fraction wide. So, of course, Alzari Joseph thinks, well, if I bowl that one straighter, it's just going to move a little bit away and, and hit the off stump. And, of course, Mahmood drives it beautifully down the ground for four. So... It is, it's a hard thing. What they didn't do was they didn't bowl short enough. They didn't try and actually test their courage enough. But, of course, nowadays, tail-enders with all the protection, they've got arm guards, chest pads, helmets, etc. They're not so put off by that as they used to be. Yeah, Jack Leach was very noticeably wearing a, a chest protector, wasn't he? You could see that bulging out of his, his shirt. Mahmoud was hit by a short ball on the sort of left bicep area. And, yeah, there wasn't much of that, was there, from the West Indies. I mean, one thing, we, we are witnessing back-to-back-to-back to back to back test matches. And it's quite a big effort, isn't it, to come out. And West Indies have basically picked the same bowling attack. I know they had Mayers playing in this game. But it's basically the same bowling attack. And so they've had to keep putting it in. It's been a tough series as well. It's been attritional, hard work for the bowlers. They're two five-day test matches up until now. And only a three-day break between one of those days is the travel day. So, yeah, physically it has been quite demanding. I mean, normally if you have back-to-back-to-back, you might have four or five days somewhere, a a break between the games, and you just have that bit more recovery time. It hasn't happened in this situation. I mean, mainly because uh, the IPL is starting at the weekend, so they've got to try and fit everything in. And I noticed that that, uh, Mayers, Alzari Joseph and uh, Jason Holder are all off to the IPL. So there's that aspect to it as well. And they just seem to run out a bit of steam. And, and sometimes there are sort of combination of factors, aren't there? Why a, a lower order partnership develops, a, a couple of drop catches, uh, the bowlers tire. Pitch got West a bit Indies, easier, but, maybe. But pitch got a bit easier, yeah. The West Indies uh, over eight was slow as well. So at one point, they got to the stage where the, the pace bowlers weren't working. They weren't making the breakthrough. So they thought, well, let's let's use the spin toss one up, see if someone hits it up in the air. And you think, well, Mahmood might hit one up in the air. And he did have a couple of swings, but that that didn't work either. And then you thought, well, let's increase the tempo with the over rate, get to the new ball quickly, and then we'll take the wicket. So they, they, they sort of got caught a bit betwixt and between West Indies, really. And, and that partnership just developed. And some some days is your day. And I thought, I thought actually, Leach and Mahmood played, well, Leach played two glorious strokes in his innings. One extra cover drive to bring up the hundreds, a magnificent blow, then one down the ground later on. And Mahmood, that, that first six uh, in his first-class career over long on, the sound off the bat was fantastic. I was at that ground uh, in 2019 when 40-odd sixes were hit in the one-day international. I don't think any of them were hit as cleanly as that. Gale and Butler were going that day, but that was a, it was a, a rifle crack stroke over wide long on from uh, Mahmood. I felt sorry for him, actually, when he was out yeah, right at the end, yeah. just missing out on his half century. Because he's never made a, a half century in 34. first class cricket. 34 was his highest score yeah, in first class cricket. Yeah. He's now uh, fourth highest as an England number 11 for a score. The, the top, of course, is Jimmy Anderson with 81. John Snow made 59 not out. Andy Caddick, 49 not out. And Saki Mahmood, 49 today. So he's fourth in the list of best scores by an England number 11. And actually, that six he hit over mid-wicket was reminiscent of Dan Lawrence, who did that in the last test and played a couple of magnificent shots 
over Deepwood Wicket. What a contrast. You mentioned the IPL starting on Sunday for, for people like Jason Holder. So instead of 200 off 90 overs, you get 200 off 20 overs. Uh, but at least you only got to bowl four overs yourself. Um, so, it, it well, you know, what an extraordinary contrast. Uh, we should talk about England's earlier batting, which was pretty lamentable. There was some help in the pitch, but... I mean, it's exasperating to watch someone like Zach Crawley, who we know is so talented and hit a wonderful on drive down the ground early on. But then just he should have realised there was something in the pitch. The ball was zipping around from both ends and, and, you know, passing the edge, passing the inside edge, passing the outside edge. You've got to recognise driving on the up is not an option in those conditions. You've got to wait until the the the, cut, the, the situation that the ball has lost its slight hardness, the pitch has slightly deadened or, or dried out or whatever. You've just got to bide your time as an opener. And, you know, big on the up drive, called it short extra cover, was just not a, a good piece of judgment. Yeah, it looked really tame, didn't it? And it's something we alluded to earlier in the series, that Zach Crawley at the moment, unless he sort of changes his approach... He's going to be one of those players that makes a score and then makes three low scores or four low scores, which isn't really quite good enough for your team because he made a century, of course, didn't he, earlier in the series and played beautifully and you see the best of him. And then since then, perhaps we've seen, not quite not exactly the worst of him, but we've, we've seen in this series some of his weaknesses and we, we saw it again today. And you look at a dismissal like that in the context of this pitch and you think, yeah, it just needed something just a bit more solid. What, what did you make of Alex Lee's uh, today? Yeah, he, did, he did all right. Uh, before I get on to that, I suppose you could use, a, 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 this is a case for, with certain players, they sort of need to learn the lesson the hard way. And you need a, like a little darkened cell in a dressing room for players who make those mistakes so that they can't go in the dressing room and resort to, I don't know, watching a, an iPad or, which of course they're not allowed anyway, but mm. any kind of relaxation or, you know, going on the couch and having a massage or something. They should be forced to sit on a hard stool in a very dark room with no music or any conversation just to make them realise what they've this missed isn't out the 19th on. Nineteenth century, Oz. This isn't. This isn't. This well, isn't it doesn't Charles seem to be Dickens getting through, does it? Times. The message doesn't seem to be getting through. Anyway, Alex Lees. Well, he could spend some time with Alex Lees, who you know is half the talent of Zach Crawley, but obviously, potentially twice the application. And yeah, he stuck it out pretty well. It was a slightly better innings than the the, the two or three he's produced so far. He got a good ball to get out. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, he played and missed a bit. I'm not convinced by him. I, I, there's a shot he plays outside off stump to a sort of just short of a length ball, which is a bit like a waft. And I think two gullies will snap him up all the time because it hits it in the air without much control. It seems like he's one of his sort of go-to shots if it's a bit wide and just slightly short. Rather than trying to cut the ball and keeping it down, he just sort of throws the bat at it and it... It flies in the air randomly behind square, and he got a couple of boundaries like that today. But a, a better team with some smarter field settings might really, really pouch on that. He closes the face on the drive as well, doesn't he? So the the bat just slightly turns his hand. He sort of reaches, he sort of pokes a bit on the drive. It, 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 there's something, there's sort of lacking that left hander's elegance that you sometimes see through sort of 
wide mid-off through the extra cover region. He, do you know, he reminds me, who, who does he remind Graham you Smith of? Graham Smith or someone like that. Yes, exactly. That's exactly who I was thinking of. I mean, Graham Smith was a fabulous player and actually made the, the utmost of his talent, didn't he? He played one of the great test innings I've seen in my life, actually, at Edgbaston, mm. when he made 150 to, to win a match for South Africa in the, in the, in the 2000s. Br brilliant innings, a game in which uh, Paul Collingwood made 100 as well. Fabulous innings. Yeah, there's, there's something of the Graham Smith about him. I mean, you know, they're slimmer in stature, aren't they, really? And, and Graham Smith wasn't great through the offside either. And, you know, yeah, he just, he just put me in mind of Graham Smith today. It's interesting you picked up on that as well. But I mean, it, it's, it's hard to uh, criticise uh, Alex Lees on the day when he made 31 and then the next 7, 0, 8, 2, 0, 7 uh, down to Folks. So, you know, he stood out in the top order. It's a really, as you say, a really bizarre-looking uh, England uh, batting card and of course you know Joe Root out for naught and that is he's, that's such a key wicket for any team and I thought he got a decent ball as well from, yeah. from Mayers yeah I don't think you can do much with that you, you've got to play the line he didn't mm. kind of shift his bat across when the ball moved he held the line and it just did enough and that's all you need a lot of balls were doing far too much but that was just enough to take the edge and no, I mean, Root walks off. He's obviously disappointed. But I think if he spends too long looking at that and thinking, wondering what he can do about it, then he's wasting his time. Because mm. there are balls out there sometimes which you just can't do anything about. Yeah. Yeah, some days you get a good ball and that's it. You just have to say, well, fair play. Um, and he was out for Norton. And, and Mayers saw him off. He got rid of uh, Crawley as well. So, yeah, good, interesting introduction from West Indies. They, they, they looked at the pitch and they thought... No, no, no frontline spinner on this pitch. We'll go with the five seamers. And Mayers had a, a big hand in, in getting them on the way. And ultimately, those five seamers are bowling England out for 204, which is a pretty good day. I think if you said to West Indies at the start, you put putting them into bat, bowled out for 204. But you, it's always that what might have been, you know, and it, it will nag away a, a bit until or they can get into a position where they do have a lead of 50, 70, 80, 100, whatever. On the, on the second and into the third day, and that will be their, their goal from here. Let's talk about the pitch, Yoz. We, we talked a little bit about it, but it dried. I thought it was a strange surface, actually, because it, it did do a bit. The ball did swing as well. And also there was, I noticed there was uh, one from Alzari Joseph in the afternoon session that, it, it sort of skidded, it went over the top of the off stump and went through to the keeper on the second bounce. And I was trying to think, I don't think I've ever seen that before. You normally see a ball go through on the second bounce that's outside the off stump or outside the leg stump, but a ball that was actually straight and went over the top of off stump and went through on the second bounce. Really, really bizarre. So I just wonder, I mean, Mark Butcher on the BT Sport commentary was saying that he thinks there will be some uneven banks. And, there, you know, there were a couple... Of dismissals, I mean, Overton's one, I mean, it, it was a beautiful delivery, it came back in. But that one just seemed to keep a bit low as well. You need to see it from the side camera, really. That's the, the Down the pitch camera, it's not so obvious. You see it from the side, you think, hmm, that one seemed to keep a bit low. And Ben Folks played his as if it kept a bit low as well. And then, so that was happening, and they, the batters were getting castled. And then, and Wokes was bowled as well from a full delivery. So you think, hold on a second, this pitch is it might keep a bit low, there's some uneven bounce. And then suddenly you see Mahmood and Leach. I know it, the ball's getting harder and everything, uh, softer rather, 
and they didn't seem to get any of those balls at all. And it it seemed to be fairly straightforward, apart from the the, the, the wafting that you were talking about. So th- this pitch is, is going to be worth keeping an eye on. I mean, there's some grass on it, and there is some potentially some some e- uneven banks as well. I think there is. Uh, it started clearly slightly tacky, mm. and that I little bit damp and that what that can do is cause indentations little dints that are caused by the pitch and by the ball pitching you know on a length and leaving just a little tiny mark and over time those little dints can harden and then you get uneven bounce because if the ball pitches on an upslope of the dint it climbs and if it pitches on a slight downslope of the dint it'll keep low so there is the possibility of that and the, the way the pitch behaved, it was a bit like sometimes we used to go to Hove and play county cricket there against Sussex. And there were days when the ball zipped and zapped all over the place and you just thought the tide's in. Uh, and they used to say that, actually. The tide's come in and it's, you know, hooping around. And it, it did look a bit like that today. And then the tide went out and uh, the pitch played a bit easier. I do think that, A, the ball gets softer and that is a contributory factor. And also the bowlers do get tired. You know, they, they, although having said that, Alzari Joseph getting annoyed by Mahmoud's playing and missing at the end was actually firing it up to nearly 150 kilometres an hour, which was 10 kilometres quicker than he had been earlier. So it's such a psychological thing, bowling. You know, for no reason, suddenly you produce your quickest ball of the day when you should be at your tiredest. Uh, it's going to be a pitch which does plenty, I, I think that the key is going to be obviously surviving the first 15 to 20 overs and then it will get easier and over, it'll probably keep doing a bit throughout the game. Uh, maybe a little bit less sideways movement and maybe a little bit more up and down movement. And, and swing? And swing? I mean, West Indies really well, that's got just, to ju- go that's just the Dukes, the ball, that's, the Dukes. Yeah. that's the Dukes. That's the Dukes ball. Which if you, if you let go of it right... Uh, with the with the seam canted either one way or the other, and you get the wrist behind the ball and all that, and get a bit of backspin on the ball naturally, then it it will swing. Yeah. So England, who who have they got to swing it though? Really, you know, Mahmood is not a a classic swing bowler. He'll get reverse swing, but probably not on this pitch. Wokes should be the man. I'd say Wokes and Overton on this pitch should be the, the guys to, to take the wickets, I'd say. And I think they'll bowl well on there, actually. But they've got to strike early on. They've got to get it when the when the ball's nice and hard. What what we have seen from West Indies in this series so far, you know, largely through Craig Brathwaite and Akruma Bonnet, is a willingness just to dig in. And so that will be fascinating to see tomorrow. West Indies, they, you know, they've bowled England out, done that in the first day. So this sort of time is on their side, actually. It, so it, that could work to, the, to their advantage in this game. They don't have to really force the issue. They just have to bat time and say, you know, can we bat into the middle of the third day and then just see where we are? And if we have got a lead by of, of 100, say, but by the middle of the third day, then what a decent position we'll be in in the game. So although there was that partnership and it, it just seemed to frustrate the West Indies and you know, there was a lot of comment, you know, West Indies have let this slip and they've let the game get away uh, from from themselves. Um, it might not necessarily be the case. And actually, just I'm just looking at the, the figures for the, the spinners, the, the part-time spinners. Between them, they bought 11.4 overs, four maidens, one for 23. So, I mean, that, those are not 
you know, those are not terrible figures collectively. I mean, that you could argue there wasn't a great deal of threat when they were bowling. Right. And the other thing as well is the wicketkeeper, uh, Josh De Silva, let through 18 buys. And so that helped the scoring rate as well. So there's a lot, a lot of buys. There were a couple of, sort of two or three, four buys, one that, a couple that went through his legs. And that just sort of seemed to increase the frustration, stroke pressure on West Indies. And you know what it's like. If, if uh, They're horrible, aren't they, those late-order partnerships? They're just, they're just so frustrating for bowling and fielding mm. sides. Overall, was it bad batting by England or good bowling by the West Indies? I actually say it's more bad batting, really. Uh, uh, Crawley, bad shot. Root, uh, unlucky. Lees, good ball. Stokes, poor shot, trying to pull too early. The ball bounced a bit more than he expected. He got tucked up, hit a catch back to the bowler. Lawrence, Dan, Dan Lawrence falling, falling over. over, missing a straight one. Not, not a very good shot. Johnny Bairstow, a little bit on the move, a good, goodish ball, but probably shouldn't have dismissed him, and folks bowled through the gate. So, yeah, out of, out of those seven dismissals, at least four were poor shots. Yeah, Bairstow was an interesting one. I mean, if you just see it in isolation, it looks as though he's just pushing it one outside the off stump, but the ball before he'd come back in. So you might just say early on that was a quite decent piece of bowling, sort of, you know, quite close to off stump in the channel. And your batters are always vulnerable early on. He was caught behind off uh, Joseph for Nort. So both Root and Bairstow out for Nort. Stokes for two. So the the, you know, the real experience, the quality in that England uh, top seven today, out for two. And if, you know, if, you, if, you, if you find that happening, then you, you're likely to be in trouble, aren't you? Your three three best players, your three most experienced players are dismissed collectively uh, for two. But today we just have one of those... Really strange days of of cricket that you know sometimes happens in the game, where you know the 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 tail uh, dug England out and gave them a chance. It, it slightly reminded me of last summer and the Oval Test match, where India were really struggling and Shardil Taka uh, made some runs from number eight for India. The Indian he, the Indian beefy, isn't he? Yeah, and he, he he actually played some shots. It, it was a bit different. The, the the partnership was a bit different, or the, the lower order runs are a bit different. He played lots of shots and got away with it. But what it did do is it took India from sort of low hundreds to sort of high hundreds and just kept them in the game. And of course, they were able to turn that. Ultimately, they were able to turn that to advantage with a brilliant uh, second innings batting performance. So you know, if, if you stay in the game, then. You know, you're giving yourself a better chance. If you rolled out for a hundred, it's not easy to win a Test match in that situation. You've got to do something sensational with the ball. As it is, you know, if I mean, if, if I offered, if I offered England or offered you on behalf of England, yours, Westin is all like two fifty. Would you take that, or would you be a bit greedier than that? No, I'd take that. I think they should get three hundred plus. So if you can bowl them out for two fifty, that's a result for sure. That's what England will be hoping for only conceding a lead of 50, then they can easily get 350 second innings if they apply themselves. I think that probably the best two days to bat could well be second and third days. Uh, and then, you know, it might just start to get a bit uneven and perhaps slow down as well and, and make shot selection harder. So talking of staying in the game, by the way, um, England and women are still in the game, <laughs> having uh, thumped Pakistan. Uh, very impressive innings by Danny Wyatt there to... Win by nine wickets, 70 or not out. Uh, some really powerful shots, actually. And, and England you know, looking good, actually. I, I mean, obviously, they've beaten a couple of weaker teams recently, but still, they're, they're looking slightly stronger. And they haven't changed their team, interestingly, have they? I mean, there was, there was a temptation. I, I was saying 
had they reached their Anderson and Broad moment and it was time to rest Catherine Brunt and Anya Shrubsell, but they're still playing, they're still bowling, and Brunt took three for 19. So, you know, she's there's still life in the old dog, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, well, and they're, they're still alive in the competition. Sometimes you know, a team that does well at the, the, the back end can come through and, and cause some surprises. I, I, just looking at the group table, they probably want to uh, avoid Australia in the semi-finals, and it looks as though that could well happen. If they beat Bangladesh, then they're unlikely to finish fourth in the group. They're likely to finish uh, third, and so they will end up playing South Africa, and then you might have, a, say, an Australia-India uh, semi-final. But, I mean, Australia has just been head and shoulders better than everybody else in the competition so far, and I think there is an expectation that they will go on and, and win it. Um, but you never know. Knockout cricket can do strange things. On your day, you know, rain-shortened game or something like that, 20-over match suddenly. Uh, it can happen in New Zealand, can't it? We've had some rain around in the last week or so that you can get those sort of conditions in New Zealand. It's not like playing a World Cup in somewhere like India or Pakistan where, you know, generally speaking, it stays dry throughout the tournament. There is a rain uh, potentially around. And just talking about uh, Pakistan, uh, by the time some people listen uh, to this podcast, then the test match in, in Lahore might be over. It might be well into its uh, final day and anything we say now will be out of date. But, you know, an in intriguing uh, game of cricket. I mean, when you look at the the third day of the match, you thought, well, Australia have got this by the scruff of the neck now. Pakistan fell in a heap, seven for 20. And then lo and behold, we basically have a, on the fourth day, we have a 300 for three day where Pakistan are keeping themselves alive in the match. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to stick my neck out and say I don't think Pakistan uh, can win the game. Uh, I think pro probably I I mean it's, it's sort of 50 looking at the odds as well it's sort of 50-50 between draw and Australia uh, winning the game. Quite an interesting declaration from Pat Cummins actually around about 350 and 120 overs. Um and we'll we'll see yeah, how it well, plays Well I mean out. in a way whatever happens uh, whoever prevails deserves it because they've both gone at each other like hammer and yeah, tongs for, for what 12 days or so 13 days and they're, they're, you can't choose days. between them at the moment and they, they've never given each other an inch and so it's been a fantastically absorbing contest actually especially for the connoisseur so well it's all to play for on on the final day Exciting even if it to, finishes to nil that. nil yours well even if it finishes nil yeah nil. i think it, that that's a sort of that's a fair result if it is nil-nil. But in a way, you sort of feel like you hope Pakistan would try and chase the yeah. runs. They, they, I mean, what, what worries me is they've got a bit of a weak tail, you know, from about number seven, like even really after Mohammed Rizwan, there isn't much. And I, I just worry slightly about that and the, the ability of Stark and Cummins to just blow away tails with a bit of reverse swing. Mm. You know, that's going to be their, the, the worry for me if I was the, the Pakistan captain. Yeah, I mean, they need what two seventy on the final day and ninety overs. Yeah, that might be sort of, might be the upper limit. But you're right. In in a sense, if they're still batting in the ninetieth over or the eighty eighth over of the day, then they 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 might not be too far away. So we'll we'll, we'll see how it plays out. Anyway, well, it's, it, we've got a, a fascinating what is it fourteen hours of of cricket ahead of us uh, on Friday in the UK. Looking forward to to watching as much of it. As possible, can uh, Pakistan do something sensational in Lahore, and uh, can England build on that last-wicket partnership between Leach and Saqib Mahmood in in Grenada? Uh, well, well, we'll find out, and we'll be back to uh, review all the cricket that happens on Friday 
um, when it's all over. So we'll speak to you then. Goodbye for now. Podcast Network.